Our scripture today is John 3.16. Church family, would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, in these few moments we have together this morning, may we not take our opportunity lightly. But Lord, we know that you are always here with us. And yet, you also show up in a special way when your people come together and open your word together. God, right now I pray for each person in this room, Lord, that we would not do what I know, even myself, we are so prone to do, which is when we are confronted by the familiar. This passage is very familiar to many people. Lord, when we are confronted by the familiar, we are quick to divert our attention, to think of other things. Lord, I pray this morning you would grant us the blessing of looking at your word with fresh eyes that we might receive a renewed heart. God, I pray that you would show us your son. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, we are continuing our series on Advent, and Advent is a word that means coming, or the, it is a reference to the celebration of the first coming of Jesus Christ in his birth. And this morning we're looking at the fact that we have love that is found in Christ. So the question I have this morning is this, have you ever been in love? You better shake your head hard, husband. <laughs> She's looking. I remember August 14th, 2001. I began college, I moved to Dallas and, and began college at 18 years of age very quickly I met this very driven and passionate, opinionated, and fiery 18-year-old brunette who was quite simply the most beautiful woman I had ever seen in my life. In fact, she was so amazing that I determined very quickly that I had absolutely no shot with her. So I turned my attention elsewhere. And in God's great grace and mercy and providence, he brought Luann and I together, even though she is still to this day way out of my league. <laughs> no, no argumentation. I fell in love in college, and I can honestly say that I am more in love today than I was then. And that is after celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary last week. And when you think about love, 
for many of us, that, that's what it brings to my heart and mind. And for many, the concept of love brings feelings of, of warmth, of, of peace, of safety, of connection. But maybe the idea of love brings feelings of pain or longing or even betrayal. Still others, maybe love seems like an elusive thing, something that you always desire but can't really attain or something you desperately want from someone. Maybe it's a parent or a friend or a sibling or even a spouse. Whatever your concept of love this morning, any human picture of love pales in comparison to the greatest love that has ever been shown. See, in the book of John, John, uh, the apostle, John, who wrote the book of John, or the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, in the gospel of John, he uses the word love more than any other New Testament writer, hands down. And that's interesting considering that the Apostle Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. And yet John uses the word love more than anyone else. And when we look at the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, the, the, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each have their own distinctive natures. Um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are known as the synoptic Gospels, which is just a fancy word to mean same. So they tell the same stories, but from different perspectives. And they give different details and maybe have different approaches or start in a different place. But the Gospel of John definitely starts in a different place than any of the other Gospels. The Gospel of Mark begins in Jesus' ministry, and really, the vast majority of it only covers the last few weeks of his life here on earth. But then, the Gospels Matthew and Luke begin with the birth of Christ, by giving genealogy and things of that nature. But the Gospel of John goes back way further. In fact, the Gospel of John begins in John chapter 1. With a verse that you are no doubt familiar with. In John chapter 1 we are told in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So John chapter 1 Verses 1 through 18, John tells us that Jesus is the Word who became flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the Word, this Word, became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten from God, full of grace and truth. So John, in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18, tells us that Jesus is the eternal Word become flesh. Then in John 1, 19 through 28, we are shown very clearly through the ministry of John the Baptist that Jesus is in fact the coming Messiah from whom or of whom John the Baptist says he is not worthy to untie his sandal. And then in John chapter 1 verses 29 through 34... At the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, Jesus is declared again by his cousin John the Baptist that Jesus is the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Then in John chapter 1 verses 35 through 51, he is shown to be the one who calls men unto himself. This is where he calls his disciples. Then in John 2 uh, verses 1 through 12, Jesus is quite simply the supernatural miracle worker of God. He turns the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana. Then in John 2, verses 13 through 22, Jesus is the one who is zealous about the holiness of God. He sits back, he braids a whip, and he drives the money changers out of the temple, declaring this to be a house of prayer. Then in verses 23 through 25 of John chapter 2, Jesus, in, in just a couple of verses, is shown to us to be the one who knows what is in the heart of each and every human being. It says that Jesus did not give himself to those in that city because he knew what was in the heart of mankind. That's very important for understanding the next section in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, where Jesus interacts with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus not genuinely, but sarcastically. Um, and I can make a case for that later. But G John, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And in verses 1 through 15 of chapter 3, Jesus is the one who does not sit idly by, but calls all men to be born again. And that brings us to John chapter 3, verse 16. See, all of that actually builds to John 3.16. All of that is important to understanding John 3.16. John is not simply declaring something Jesus said, but John has been building a theology about Jesus to get to this point where Jesus reveals something so important. See, Jesus' mission, Jesus' mission in human flesh, it was to come as a baby, to live a difficult life, Life to die a horrific death and to enact a victorious resurrection for you and for me. And it was, according to John 3.16, it was simply a consequence of God's love. It's, we, we, we hear all those things, and, and we can even say we know those things, but the truth is, is sometimes we look back and we say, okay, what's the reason? God had this plan. God had this amazing story, and all those things are true. But in the end, the Gospel of John tells us that the reason every single thing Jesus did, the reason that Jesus came to this earth was solely and completely because of his love. See, what I want us to see in this time of Advent this morning is that the coming of Jesus, it reveals God's love. And God's love is revealed through His Son. God's love is revealed through His Son. And as we look at this, we're going to look at four aspects of God's love in John 3.16. And the first one is that God's love is personal. God's love is personal. He begins in verse 16. For God 
so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. Now, we're going to stop right here because there is one word. Now, in, in, in the ESV, it's one word. In some other English translations, it's a couple of words. But in Greek, it's one word. It may, your translation, this translation, the ESV says only. Your translation may say one and only. Uh, your translation, if you have an older one, if you have the King James, it says only begotten. Uh, whatever your translation says, the, the fact is, it is a word in Greek. The word is monogenes, and it means one and only of a kind, unique, and there is none like him. But that would be too many words. But that's what that word means. So when John, or the Gospel of John, declares what Jesus said, Jesus declares this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only of a kind, unique, there is none other like him, Son. That's what he declares. He declares that Jesus is, in fact, the one and only. How do we know this? Well, John has actually already said this twice. And this is what I mean by building a theology to, as a foundation for what Jesus declares himself to be. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, Full of grace and truth. The only son. It's the exact same word. It's the exact same. Where did John get his doctrine, his understanding of Jesus being the one and only unique second person of the Trinity, the Son of God? Where did John get it? He got it from Jesus. Because Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one of a kind, unique Son of God. So in John 1.14, John says, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only one of a kind, unique Son of God. Full of grace and truth. Say, so was that really what he meant? Well, he meant it so much he repeated it again in verse 18 of John chapter 1. When he said, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, hear this. The only God. The one and only, unique, none other like him, God. What did John just say? John did not just say that Jesus is the Son of God, like he came from God. John is saying that Jesus is the one and only second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And then in John 1.18, he says, in fact, he is God. See, there, there are many beliefs today that will try to tell you that Jesus is what you could use any term you want, but Jesus is an emanation from God the Father, or he was in fact born of God the Father. He was a created being. There are entire religions that believe that Jesus and Satan are actually brothers, and they, they are co-equals, but they are different. One is evil and one is good. There's all those things, but John chapter 1, John chapter Chapter 2 and John chapter 3, John declares very clearly that Jesus Christ did not emanate from the Father. He was not born from the Father. He is not a created being. He is the eternal Son of God who has existed forever, and He is the second person of the Trinity, co equal with God the Father Himself. So, no matter what 
this world may say, and no matter what other people may say, Jesus is not one among many. Jesus is not similar to others. Jesus is not just like Buddha or just like Muhammad or just like any other person you may hear. Jesus is the one and only unique Son of God. There is none like Him. There never will be. There never has been. So then, why is this so important? You say, well, that's, you say, that's a really important word. It is, but there's actually another important word in this little phrase here. Because if you think about everything that that word only means, then look at this word, that he gave. All of that about Jesus Christ, and then he gave him as a gift... He gave him as a precious gift. Why would he do this? Why would he give the one and only unique son of God as a gift? Look at the verse. For God so loved the world. It's, a, it's an explanation. For, meaning this is why. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son. Not only this, but he is in fact precious to the father in luke chapter 3 when jesus is baptized he comes up out of the water the holy spirit descends upon him like a dove and they hear a voice the voice of god the father and what does he say behold this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased he is declared to be god's beloved son several times Twice at least by God himself, God the Father himself. He is the beloved son of God. And so when you think about the fact that there is none like him. No, not one. He is precious. He is holy. He is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is God incarnate. That God himself, God the Father, this precious one he has who is his own and co-equal with him. He took him from heaven and he had him go to earth and put on flesh for you and for me. Oh, what a gift we have in Jesus. God the Father gave his best. Think about how much that means he loves you and he loves me. He didn't give a pretty good thing, he didn't send an angel. He sent his one and only unique son. This was not a last minute gift. This is not God running to the gas station to grab flowers on Christmas Eve. This is not anything like this. This is not God going, oh, Adam and Eve messed up. How about plan B? Let's send in Jesus because I was thinking it was going to go this way, but then it went this way. This is not God's second best. God gave his very, very best for you. Because of his love. Solely because of his love. So his love is personal. But also, God's love is powerful. It's powerful. Look at this verse with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever believes in him 
should not perish. So there's, he didn't just give his son, but he gave his son for a reason. That's what the that is for. So he gave his son. He loved his world. He loved the world so much. He loved you so much that he gave, and he gave him that whoever. So this is the reason why. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Whoever. This means this is an open invitation. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you think you're hearing this and you think this does not apply to you. See, often with verses that are very common, verses that all of us know, I mean, the truth is, when Brother Jim said, would you read this together with me? Very few of you actually needed to look at the screen. You know the verse. So, so we know the verse. And because of that, there are some in this room who will hear this verse and think, well, yeah, that's a verse they taught us when we were in, you know, in preschool. That's, that's a verse that they cover in children's ministry. That's a verse for kids. That's not really for me. And, and, and furthermore, with what I've done or with what I have said, or even with what I believe, there is no way in the world that this would apply to me. This just shouldn't. I mean, this is a verse for kids. And I mean, yeah, it's fine that kids believe this. Um, let, me, let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. That does not say if children believe in him. That doesn't say if your neighbor believes in him. That doesn't say if your spouse or your parents believe in him. It says whoever believes in him. That means you. And it means me. So in a real sense, this verse tells us that following Christ in at least one sense has little to do with who you are or who you have been and much more with what you do. What This verse says, in fact, that it's open to whoever, so it doesn't matter who you are, but it does matter what you do. Why? Because he says this, but whoever believes, whoever Believes. This is the action we take. What, this is the stipulation. It's, it's, it's to say, yeah, but you must believe. You must believe. Again, this verse is so important. This is foundational. Why do we teach it to children? We don't teach it to children because it is easy to remember. And I can promise you this. It's not any easier to remember than any other verse that you would teach a child. It's just that they hear it so much when they're little, they remember it. It's not because it is easy to remember. The reason this verse, we teach it to children, is because everything in this verse is foundational to everything we believe. Whoever believes in him, I don't care who says it. It doesn't matter if they own their own television network. It doesn't matter in any way, shape, or form how many books they've written or anything like that. All roads don't lead to heaven. Not everybody is going to spend eternity with God. And it does matter what you believe. And it doesn't matter how hard you believe it necessarily. It says, whoever believes. Whoever believes. You don't get to live your life any way you want to and then say, well, I'm probably good because God's a loving God. 
Well, this actually does tell you this. Hear, hear me. The world will say, well, I don't know if, if I wouldn't go to hell. I mean, God's a loving God. This verse tells me that. God loved the world. That's true. God is a loving God. But hear me. Jesus says God loved the world so much so that he sent his only and unique son to come into this world. That whoever, that means you, whoever, but then he says this, believes. There's a stipulation on which you receive the benefits of that love. So, well, what is that? Well, that you believe. It means complete and utter trust and reliance or to have confidence in. It's more than agreeing to a historical fact. Let's be really clear. It's more than just believing that Jesus is a historic person or that he is a historical person. Now, there's a difference between those two. See, to believe that Jesus is a historic person, it means he was awesome, that he was, that he was different, and that, that he was an amazing teacher. He was an amazing prophet. That makes him historic. You say, okay, so I hear you. You're saying that's not enough. It's also not enough to believe that Jesus was a historical figure, which means he actually existed, and there are, there are testimonies of his ministry and his life. Simply put, there is a difference. If you, if you hear nothing else I say this morning, please hear this. There is a difference between believing about Jesus and believing in Jesus. Okay, Believing about Jesus means you agree that he is a legitimate historical figure and that he wasn't necessarily crazy and he wasn't a liar. That's believing about Jesus. And many people believe that that is more than enough uh, to give them eternal life. Except that's not what this verse says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes about him, that's not what it says. It says whoever believes in him. And there is a difference between believing about someone and believing in someone. See, believing about someone just means you believe Jesus existed. Believing in Jesus means you take your entire life, your safety, your future, your, your, your dreams, your wishes, your hopes, every single thing you are, and you place all of that in his hands for safekeeping for all eternity. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. I'm not going to do it because I had a friend of mine end up as a finalist on the Americans, America's Funniest Home Videos uh, for doing this and falling into the organ pit. But I will tell you this, that the simple truth is I can believe about that chair that it will hold me. That's believing about it. Why? Well, it looks like it would, and I can see it there, and it's made well, and I've seen people sit on it week after week, so I'm sure that it'll hold me. That's believing about the chair. But actually going and standing in that chair is believing in that chair. That's taking my entire personhood and putting it in that chair. That's believing in that chair. See, there are many of you this morning who have spent your life believing about Jesus. You've heard the stories. You've heard all of the messages. You've heard all of these things. You've sung the songs. You've memorized the verses. You have believed about Jesus, but you have not said, you are my Lord. You are my master. I believe not about you. I believe in you. And what does it say? Why is this so important? 
that whoever believes in him should not perish. There is an alternative to, not, uh, to believing in Jesus. See, many people say, well, okay, if, if believing in Jesus helps you, that's great. But it's not that big of a deal for me. And, I mean, we'll end up in the same place anyway. No, this says very clearly uh, that there is an alternative to believing in Jesus. And the alternative is what Jesus refers to as perishing. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6.23 tells us that God has a perfect standard. But we don't live up to that standard. And we are told that the wages of our sin is death. The wages of our sin is death. We earn punishment because of our sin. We sin because we are born sinners and we sin because we choose to sin. And because of that, we are condemned to an eternity in hell except for Jesus Christ. If you do not put your faith in Jesus, you will spend an eternity in hell. That's not a happy truth. The happy truth is whoever believes. Whoever believes. So that, that's depressing that I would spend eternity in hell. No, it's alarming. It's alarming. As people say, well, you know, you need to be soft about this. I don't know why I need to be soft about this. You know, in, in my, uh, we'll, we'll use the term profession loosely, but in my profession or my calling, you know, one of the major things that I do more than, uh, almost, not more than preaching, but the, the second most common thing that I do is funerals. It's one of the most common things that ministers do is funerals. And I can tell you this, that it's not depressing to talk about this. It is alarming to talk about this. I need you to hear me this morning. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in danger. You are in danger eternally. You are hanging, as Jonathan Edwards said, like a spider hanging from a thread over hell. You are in danger of entering eternity without Jesus and then experiencing the wrath of God for all time. You are in danger. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You can be rescued, delivered, saved, redeemed, forgiven, and given eternal life through Jesus Christ. Not by believing about him, but by believing in him. So God's love is powerful. It's powerful. The truth is, only by believing in Jesus Christ can you experience the power of God. Can you be delivered and set free. So God's love is powerful. But then God's love is seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. It's seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. Now, there's just two words that I want to look at. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. In him. See, there is no other one There is no other thing 
There is no other belief system. There is no other religion. There is no other pursuit. There is no other reward. There is no other anything that can save you from eternal perishing. Except the one and only Jesus Christ. See, you may spend your entire life looking. You, you may spend your entire life searching. We're talking about love this morning, right? And the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, here's the thing. God so loved the world. Every human being is built to pursue love. We, we want love. We want to experience love. We also would like to give love. But to quote the famous theologian, many of us are looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? Why? Because you may be looking for love in all these different places. Can I tell you this? If you're even looking for love in a spouse, you may find love in a spouse, but make no mistake about it. The love that you find in them pales in comparison to the love you have in your Savior. You may be looking for love, but you will never find true and lasting eternal love. You will not find that anywhere except the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said that whoever believes in Him... And Him alone. See, if you spend your life trusting on something else to save you, on something else to make you right, to make you whole, you will be sorely, sorely disappointed. God has provided a way out. But it is only in Jesus Christ. If you're depending on your own good deeds to save you, you will never do enough. If you're depending on your parents' faith to save you, you will fall short. And if you're depending on anything else to save you, you will never get what you were wanting. Because of what? Because one day you will stand in front of the Lord and He will say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Only in Jesus Christ can you find the love you need for eternal life. So God's love is seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. But then finally in this life, sometimes, sometimes what people call love is fleeting. Right? How do I know this? I went to high school. That's not a slam on teenagers now. That's a slam on teenagers forever, right? It's just the way it is. Oh, I love her. Two weeks later, now I love her, right? Or I love him, and then three weeks later, now I love him, right? It's different. But love is fleeting because people define it in all different ways, and we think love just means I have this warm, fuzzy feeling inside, but that's not what love is because true love is everlasting, True love sticks around forever. True love never changes. Look what he says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son where there is none like him and never has been nor will there ever be. He gave him 
So that whoever, that means you, that means me, that means everybody, whoever believes not about him, but believes in him, will not perish, will not spend eternity in hell receiving the wrath of God, but will have eternal life. Eternal life. See, the love of God is not fleeting. The love of God does not fade. Did you know this, child of God? God will not love you more tomorrow afternoon if you do your quiet time tomorrow morning. Did you know that God will not love you more at lunch today because you came to service this morning? Because God loves with a full and everlasting love. He cannot love you more than he loves you now because he loves you with the fullness of his being. How much so? So much so that he gave his one and only son for you. If you ever question how much God loves you, he gave his son. If you ever question how long God will love you, it says that he will give you eternal life. His love lasts forever. It does not fade. It does not fall. Because he gives us a new birth. That's what he says in John 3, verse 3, and John 3, verse 5. He will give us eternal life. That's what he says in John 3, 15, and John 3, 16. And he will give us salvation. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We are promised not our just punishment. We deserve it. We deserve it. If you're a believer here this morning, one of the most important truths that you need to grasp for the rest of your life is this. You did not deserve salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it, because if you did, it's not salvation. You didn't do anything to make God look at you and say, wow, he's awesome, or wow, she's amazing. I should save him, or I should save her. You didn't do anything like that. You were totally, utterly, and completely, I was totally, utterly, and completely without any merit whatsoever, and yet God, in his grace and mercy, showered his love upon me. Why? Not because of me, but because of who he is. Believer, you definitely are promised that you will not receive what you do not uh, what you deserve, but in fact you will receive the exact thing you and I do not deserve. And then that's eternity with him. God's love is forever. The life he grants, it's forever, but only for those who place their lives, their very being, in his hands. Only for those who don't just believe about him, but believe in him. It really means that you have to come to a place where you believe that Jesus' way, life according to him, is better than your own ideas about your life and other people's ideas about your life. In the end, you've got to come to a place where you understand that God's love is permanent, it is unfailing, and it is promised to you 
if you will give your life to him. Give the rule of your life to him. Give the purpose of your life to him. Give the goal of your life to him. Give the end of your life to him. Give them every moment of your life to him. Why? Because he bought it, because he made you, and then not only did he make you, but then if he died on the cross for you, he not only made you, but here's the crazy thing. He made you, and then he paid for the thing he made. You ever think about that? He made you and he made me. Then he made a tree and he nurtured it for years upon years. Only for a Roman soldier to cut it down with the breath that he gave to him and the heart that he gave him to beat. And then he they formed it into a cross. And they took nails made from iron ore. They took those nails that he made in the earth for centuries so that it could be formed into the nails that would be driven through his wrists and driven through his feet. He made the vine that grew the thorns that were shoved down on his head and he made you and yet even in that he still paid for you on the cross. Not so you could believe about him but so you could believe in him. He didn't do this so you would just simply know a few facts about him. He did this so that he could rule your life. See, the coming of Jesus' advent reveals God's love to us. Believer, If yeah, this morning, nothing else. If you're a follower of Christ, this should bring us to a new place of thankfulness and remembrance for all that God has done for us in that we came to him and we brought nothing to the table, but he came to us and he brought everything. And I can sing praises to his name because of that. But God's love is revealed to us in Advent through the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And because God's love is revealed, he gave his son. He gave his son to die for you. He gave his son to die for you and then three days later to be raised again. Will you receive the love of God today? Will you receive the love that he offers? So what does that apply to me? Whoever believes in him. Whoever. Whoever believes in him. Will not perish. But will have eternal life. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to. Stop thinking that. This concept you have about God will be enough to get you through. It will not. Only the truth that is revealed in God's word through Jesus Christ himself in John 3.16 will be enough for you. Which is that for God so loved you. You put your name in that. Put your name in that blank. For God so loved Jeremy that he gave his one and only, unique, none other like him ever, son. So that if, put your name there again, you, Jeremy, believes in him, will not perish, but Jeremy will have eternal life. See, that's the offer that God makes to you this morning. Jesus is here. 
Jesus is here with his love and his grace and his mercy. God the Father is here with his arms open wide calling you to himself. The Holy Spirit is here. He's the one saying, you know he's talking about you. You know this means you. You know you have fought it long enough. You know this is you. If you're wondering who that is telling you that, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that. And you can believe in Him this morning. And you can say, even right now in your heart, you can say, I am yours from now on. You are my master. What you say goes. Because this great love that God has is for you. If you will believe in Him.